tell you what you're listening to welcome to father simon says on relevant radio with father richard simon i'm here to answer your questions have a question give us a call 1-888-914-9149 that's any question you may have about the lord the faith and the church that's 1-888-914-9149 this is in fact a radio show called father simon says on relevant radio Big day today, March for Life, and uh, you know, uh, it, it uh, seems that the people who go to these marches are truly valiant. I, the voice in my head and I were just discussing that because it's, it's <laughs> invariably cold, and uh, you know, I have such great admiration for people like the Scheidlers, and you know, they, they really have stood in the gap, and I, I, I do think that uh, they're all that stand between us and real disaster. So, But that's just me. Let's pray in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful and kindle in them the fire of your love. Send forth your Spirit. They shall be created, and you shall renew the face of the earth. Lord, you taught the hearts of the nations by the light of the Holy Spirit. Grant us by that same Spirit to have right judgment in all things and evermore to rejoice in his comfort through Christ our Lord. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women. Blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Saint Michael the Archangel, defend us in battle. Be our defense against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray. And do thou, O Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the power of God, cast into hell Satan and all the evil spirits who prowl about the world seeking the ruin of souls. Amen. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. And Lord, just be with those marchers today. And, and Lord, have mercy on our nation and forgive our sins, especially this crime of abortion. All right, let's open the big book on the coffee table. Well, today, I got, no, I'm just going to jump into it. I got a letter um, from Daniel, um, kind of a long letter. Uh, uh, that about about uh, he's, well, he said I'm very confused regarding anger based on what you were saying I have anger issues and I've tried addressing them and to continue to through with many failures that the Jesus I trust in you is helpful when I do think to do it now I, I've said this before um, that that um, a habit of sin a vice that's what a vice is. It's a, all right. Oh, I'm just going to jump into it. I'm going to get to the readings because the readings today are actually very appropriate to this theme of, of anger. Um, very appropriate. Um, anger is so normal. It's so natural. Everybody gets angry. Yeah, everybody dies. And that's, that's natural too. Our lives are called not to be natural, but to be supernatural. You know, that people say, well, it's my nature to commit this sin. Well, fine, it's your nature. It's your nature also to die and possibly <laughs> go to hell. But um, we're trying to live supernatural lives. Let us talk about the seven deadly sins. Pride, avarice, lust, anger, gluttony, envy, and sloth. These are not necessarily mortal sins, but they are vices and as such, they they can become mortal sins, but 
more than that, they take over who we are. You know, envy. Have you ever met someone who they might as well just be called envy because everything they they talk about is what someone else has and what they want and what they don't have and how life hasn't been fair to them. Pride. Pride is 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 the the the, the ultimate deadly sin. It, it becomes who we are. That we can never admit that that we're not perfect. Uh, lust. That's a. Uh, I don't think lust is the worst of the crimes of our time. It's terrible, and and it consumes us. You know that there are people. I think in a way, I think lust is the most obvious of the seven deadly sins because it it so obviously takes over our life. You know, it just it just. Uh, Everything we, we we think about, talk about, uh, are fascinated by, is is the desire to to uh, possess uh, the body of another. Uh, it's just it's a creepy thing. And when when someone is consumed by lust, we just we just they're creepy. <laughs> you avoid them. Uh, it's taken them over like a cancer. Um, uh, um, then. Uh, Gluttony. You know, C.S. Lewis talks about gluttony uh, in a fascinating way in the Screw Tape Letters. He talks about the gluttony of delicacy. In other words, all I want, says the mother of the the the, the client in uh, Screw Tape Letters, the the soul that the demons are trying to get to hell. His mother just says, "Well, all I want is a piece of toast properly toasted and a cup of tea properly prepared." She causes nightmares to waitresses and 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 cooks and that sort of thing, because all she wants, she's in the "all I want" stage of life. He says, and it isn't because she wants huge quantities of food; it's she wants specifically what she wants. And we live in an age in which we are consumed by a gluttony of delicacy. Oh, I don't, I don't like that. I don't like that uh, uh, that particular olive oil. You know that particular olive oil. I find it uh, too heavy. Oh, give me a break. <laughs> Eat your salad and shut up. You know that, that this gluttony of delicacy. Oh, I never touch that. I, you know, now there are genuine food allergies. I'm not saying that that's not real, but for people to say, well, I I never eat anything that isn't. Uh, organically organic and the you know uh, i love all natural ingredients i love to see packages of unnatural uh, ingredients but we're consumed by this gluttony of delicacy and we think that we're abstemious and we're watching our health no we're not you know one should eat healthy food i mean i'm i'm not opposed to health but this kind of arrogant gluttony of delicacy and 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 sloth I mean, sloth really does consume people. Uh, I don't think I need to talk about that. That uh, we live in an era in which sometimes we can make more money by not working than by working. Um, so, so these things consume you. But the the I think the vice of our times, though lust is very popular and pride is always in the running, and uh, 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 that consumerism, you know that. Uh, it's kind of a, a gluttony. Well, but the big one is anger. We live in very angry times. And I want to remind you that anger is one of the deadly sins. And I've been quoting the scriptures that uh, 
St. James says the anger of man does not work the righteousness, the purposes of God. And when we become angry, we the devil finds us very, very amusing because we think we're being virtuous when we're angry. We're passionate about the good. No, no, we're 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 passionate about ourselves. Anger is the handmaiden of pride, and pride is the great sin. And I said yesterday that while well, Jesus got angry, yeah, he's Jesus, and he's the Son of God, uh, the divine person who has a human nature, and he can become angry because he's God. I'm not God, so I better be very, very sparing with my anger and make sure it's righteous anger because when I preempt the the privilege of God, then, well, I, I said that's an idolatry. And, and uh, uh, in his letter, Daniel says every parent is committing idolatry. Now, I'm not saying that this is a, a mortal sin, uh, but when the Catholic president defends the right to murder a child in the womb, I get angry and hateful. The scandal grieves me. That's fine. Uh, and, and you're tempted to anger, but don't give in to the temptation because it, it's not going to help. All the anger that you can muster up is not going to save a single life. To dedicate yourself to the fight against abortion, no matter what, uh, that will save lives. But you see, if you become consumed by anger, then people who uh, are committing the violence of abortion can point and say, well, they're just angry. And they're right. You see? We lose leverage. Uh, how often do I tell you that when Jesus said, I'll make you the fishers of men, uh, <clears throat> that um, uh, he didn't tell us that we were going to be the, the worm on the hook. That, that if people see that we are better than this angry world, which is, I, I, I really... I, if you listen to me for any period of time, you know that I believe that abortion is is slavery and worse. Uh, we are still paying in this country for the evils of slavery, and I think that we will pay for the evils of abortion for a much longer time. Abortion is slavery. It's the statement that I, I have control over the body of another human being. And uh, that, that child in the womb is not the property of mother or father, uh, it is it is the property of God, and uh, uh, no one has the right to to, to take that life. Um, it it just you know it's slavery, uh, and I shared with you that the the arguments for for abortion are exactly the same as the arguments for slavery. It's unfortunately it's a legal guaranteed constitutional right. So is slavery. Well, it's an economic necessity. So is slavery, and then the worst one, it's better for them. They actually said that about slavery. It's far better for them to be in snug slave cottages, having the blessings of Western civilization, and they're really very happy as slaves. Um, really better for, for them that they be aborted. How awful to be born into a world without love. Nobody asked this. Nobody, nobody volunteered to be a slave. And I would venture that if, if there was a voice to the unborn, none of them would volunteer to be aborted. Um, it's slavery. I, you know, I'm, I'm absolutely convinced. But you see, when I become angry about it, I cease to be reasonable. And I don't really convince more people that it's wrong. They get angry back at me. To be reasonable is the opposite of anger. These are the reasons that I'm opposed to abortion. Uh, well, God forbids it. Yes, he does. But that's not going to convince the godless.
But if I, I point out the injustice of it, the foolishness of it, um, well, but I can't do that if I'm yelling at someone. So I genuinely believe that anger does not work the righteousness of God. Now let's go to the readings, because in a way they're about anger. This, you know, David was a man after God's own heart. Uh, David was, was uh, um, he was not someone who, who any young woman would uh, uh, want to bring home to, uh, to mama, because he was a thug. Uh, he he uh, uh, we we've seen that he was uh, uh, you know the scriptures describe him as being very beautiful well that's not a biblical comment <laughs> or not a biblical com compliment he was a bit of a pretty boy he was yafema od he was a very very pretty and uh, uh, he was ruddy that sounds nice but no he that means he was baby faced I suspect he was. That word Yafe is only, as far as I can tell, used in reference to three men in the scriptures. David, his son Absalom, who was a terrible, uh, terrible son. And uh, um, uh, Joseph, when Joseph, uh, the son of Jacob, when Potiphar, the high priest, the priest's wife, uh, had a, a thing for, for Joseph. He's called Yafe. And it's not a compliment. Uh, Saul looked like a king. David didn't. So David, uh, he had a protection business. Uh, why can't I think of her name? Naval, the the wife of uh, Naval. Let me, let me look it up. I can't think of her name. Naval, Bible hub. Okay, there we go. They'll tell me what it is. Okay, yes, his wife's name was Abigail, Abigail, uh, David, David, uh, <laughs> the voice just said, Abby, someone, Abby, normal. No, no, that's from a funny movie. Okay, Abigail, uh, this guy, Naval, it has, uh, can also, it sounds like the Hebrew word for fool. Well, David has got, um, oh, a bunch of malcontents with him, about 400 men, and He's kind of running a protection business um, at this time. And uh, he comes up to Naval and says, I will, or his men come up to, I think, uh, uh, come up to him and, and um, uh, say, we'll protect you from uh, anybody who wants to uh, take advantage of you. Uh, David sent 10 young men and said, go to Naval at Carmel and greet him in my name and say, we'll, we'll take care of you, Naval. Protection? Who do I need protection from? You need protection. Trust me, Naval. He says, I get out of here. And so his wife, Abigail, comes and says, don't you know who that was? That was those guys were from David. And she packed some uh, um, uh, some donkeys with, with uh, the best of their produce and went down to see David and say, I'm sorry I wasn't there when you came. My, my husband didn't understand, and this is for you and your men. And David says, I'm glad you came because I was going to go and kill your husband. And she goes back and she says, you idiot, you're well-named, fool. He was going to come and kill you, at which point Naval fell over from a heart attack. And David generously uh, added Abigail to his harem. Uh, so, I mean, this is David. Uh, I mean, the Bible says David was a man after God's own heart. How can a person like that? And we're going to, in, in, in a few days, we'll be talking about David and Bathsheba. That's a rather disreputable incident. How can that man be a man after God's own heart? Well, we see in the reading today.
that he was a man who did not give in, in one of the one of the ways in which he was a man after God's own heart was he did not give in to anger. Uh, well, God, God gets angry. Yes, that's because he can. He's God. Okay. Uh, uh, Saul took three thousand men from all of Israel went in search of David. You know, Saul is is jealous of David. Well, he goes into a cave to heed the call of nature, as the saying goes. Meanwhile, David and his men are hiding deeper in the cave, and David sneaks up and cuts the edge off Saul's uh, um, cloak. And David, Saul goes out, not noticing that his cloak has been cut. And uh, uh, David comes out and calls Saul. So here I am. Look, I have this piece of your cloak. God put you into my hand, but I would not kill you because you're the Lord's anointed. You've been like a father to me. And uh, David bowed down to the ground in homage. David had every right to be angry, didn't he? He had every right to be angry. Uh, but he wasn't. He, he thought about this, and he realized that there was a biblical principle involved that he was submitted to God's anointed, who was Saul, even when he had the right to be angry at Saul. And Saul said, I'm so sorry. I, I, uh, I know, know now that you'll be king after me, that, that you're in the right rather than I. You've treated me generously. Well, I've done, har done you harm. If David had done what nature and anger had had prompted him to do the whole story would have been quite different and then we go on to the gospel um that uh, uh the 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 uh, gathering together of the 12 uh, lo and behold uh, um, simon whom he named peter james the son of zebedee and John, the brother of James, whom he named Boanerges, that means sons of thunder. That's pretty funny to me that Jesus called these guys the Thundersons. And you know, when he called them the Thundersons, uh, they went into a Samaritan village to announce, we're bringing the Messiah. And they said, Messiah Shmaya, get out of here. And I don't know if that's that's a loose translation of what they said, I suppose. But um, they come back and said, Rabbi, should we call down fire from heaven on them? And Jesus kind of rolled his eyes and said, let's go. Let's move on. From that point on, he called them the Thundersons. <laughs> that, that James and John were angry people. And Jesus Jesus said, don't bother, you know, that, that I'm not angry at them. Jesus got angry at the abuse of, of uh, people, I think, but I don't think he got angry at people. Uh, we don't see that. He got angry at situations, not ever for his own dignity or, or, or that he'd been insulted. Uh, so divine anger is, is, is a function of divine love, whereas my anger is not a function of my love at all so you see this this business about anger this this the thundersons we're not supposed to be thundersons that wasn't a compliment on jesus part to give them the name boanerges uh um, it was a joke and a reminder that they and and john according to the tradition never quite lost that temper we have old stories uh from told by the fathers of the church about john uh just really losing it um uh, uh, in the presence of heretics and I think well John got angry yeah John was a sinner saved by grace like you and me um, you know the, even the saints are sinners saved by grace except for our blessed mother who was given the gift of the Immaculate Conception at any rate um, and she was saved by grace uh, though she was immaculately conceived so 
none can boast in the presence of God. And, and, you know, we just, I just really enjoy anger and it's doesn't matter how, how much I enjoy it. It's still a sin. It's still one of the seven deadly sins and it can take over our lives. So we must not be angry. We must be passionate. We must be committed. We must be, uh, really giving of ourselves, but we need to be reasonable, uh, Reason is a very important part of the Christian life, and uh, sometimes, sometimes we think that anger can take the place of reason, and it never can. We are about to go to a report, are we not? Not. Oh, oh, oh! Well, we're going to take a break right now, and then we're going to go to a report on on how the March for Life is doing. And you know, we've gotten some wonderful, wonderful testimonies at Fast for Life from from all over the world. It's just wonderful how many people are listening there thousands and thousands of people who are joining spiritually in this march so we're going to go to a break we will come back shortly and we will have a report on what's going on in washington relevant radio runs on horsepower your horsepower donate any vehicle and keep our stations running Join in with thousands of other listeners who've given their unused vehicles at relevantradio.com slash car. And he walks with me and he talks with me and he tells me I am My goodness, this is one of the most... <laughs> Oh, I don't know. I don't want to insult anyone's taste, but it is it is one of the schmaltziest songs ever written. Um, but, you know, it's kind of interesting that that, um, um, you know, that that it's it's kind of me and Jesus. Uh, and, uh, you know, we talk about a personal relationship with Christ. And I really believe you must have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior. Not a private one. That's different. I think a lot of people, when they say a personal relationship with Jesus, they mean private. But I'm talking, and I don't want to talk. We want to go to the report on, on what's going on in Washington. Matt Beardsley's coming up. Matt, are you there? Hey, Father, joining you via phone this time because half the, we're in an Uber on our way back from the March for Life. Uh, Going to get set up in the hotel for some evening reports. And uh, my batteries are dead. They're charging up right now, so oh, I had to join you this time around via phone. Oh, well, it works. So how's it going? <laughs> oh, pretty good. We had an amazing turnout, even though with uh, you know lockdowns going on in the city and everything. Praise I don't God. know what the estimates are, but the... Uh, um, the mall, the portion of the mall, um, the National Mall, where uh, they have the rally was packed like it always is every year. You know, we had a record turnout in 2020. Uh, a little over 500,000 people were there when President Trump came. It was the first time a city wow. president came to the March for Life. Yeah. But this time around, yeah. there was a lot of people. And uh, it, was a very, it was a very good time. We had a lot of good interviews, a lot of enthusiasm. And, Father, you know, this could be the last march of its kind if uh, there are certain uh, Supreme Court decisions made uh, in, in wow. June or July, sometime this summer. We'll see what happens, um, but yeah. it's, it's always a, it's always a festive. You know, we're here for a sad reason, but it's 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 a spirit. It's a celebration of life, is what it is. It's, yeah, it's I joyous. know, I know. They always are. are There's a joy there. Yeah, absolutely. I'm cutting you off. Go on. Celebrating Go on. Well, I was yeah, I, I, there I, was the rallies I've been to is like that. Go on. Yeah, there's there's some people there that um, it's actually there's anger. Um, but we're not the ones that are angry. You know, it's the, uh, it's the other side. They're always showing anger. <laughs> yeah. 
and, and vitriol. But from this side, it's nothing but joy. And you know what? A lot of the joy is coming from kids that are a third my age. I mean, you know, 12, 13-year-old <laughs> children. It's so great to see that, you know? Yeah, it's beautiful. Just beautiful. I, uh, Mark, you there? Did I lose you? Oh, I'm right here. I'm right here. Oh, there I'm, you go. Uh, yes. All, yeah, I just, I just kind of left it on that note. It's just, just, it's just a beautiful joy, and it was another, another successful march. And you know, we could be, pardon the pun, marching towards the end of Roe versus Wade. So we need to keep praying oh, for that. We need please, to keep God. for that. I talked, yeah. I talked to Bishop Burbridge this morning from uh, um, Diocese of Arlington. He said the same thing. You know, we got to keep that fight going. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I I, th- I look at people who who are doing that, and I think of uh, there's a phrase in the scripture about standing in the gap. You know that that uh, yeah that the, the, these things. You know, I, you know, I've been talking as you know the past few days about anger, and God has the right to be angry. He is the author of all things, and there is an anger in God, and and, and I think that that people who are valiant in the struggle to defend the unborn really stand in the gap uh, and shield us from from God's righteous anger. I really do. And so God bless all those people who are at the march. And it's wonderful to to realize that it's a joy. I mean, the the marches I've been to, they're they're joyful. And and, and to me, that's a sign of the presence of the Holy Spirit in them and the fact that the adversaries of, of life are so angry makes me realize that they are not uh, speaking in the spirit. Absolutely. So, well, thanks for your report, Mark. It's good to hear you. And I'm glad you're, you're there. And uh, Matt, but I call you Mark, Matt Beardsley, Mark, Matt, let's it's call okay. the whole thing off. Don't no, worry about Matt. it. Don't worry about it. Father well, why Rocky? am I calling it's you Mark? Totally uh, oh, there you go. Oh, that's a compliment. So <laughs> yes, he would definitely know he's talking to him. No, Matt, I'm sorry. Well, Matt, please. I, <laughs> I actually know Matt and have seen him many times at functions, so um, it's just that I'm getting old and, well, senile. But at any rate, uh, Matt, Matt, <laughs> keep up the good work, and we'll hear from you later. All right. God bless. God bless. All right. Let's move along. Nothing to see here. <laughs> Father Simon's cheese slowly slips off the cracker. All right. Let's go to letters. All right. Let's see here. Oy. <laughs> As Job said to the Lord. Oy. All right, this is from Cindy. Uh, the following, oh, this, this, uh, thanks, Cindy. She, she is telling me how to get my screen right. Well, that's basically Control Alt and the directional arrow. That's what the voice in my head said. But thanks, all of you. That was like an I entire show getting your screen together. <laughs> yes, getting my screen together was an entire show. I still think it was a demonic infestation, but that's just me. All right, let's see here. Okay, this is... Oh, I wanted to, to go back to that letter from Daniel uh, about anger, because he has some wonderful references at the end of his, his lang- anger. Um, uh Overcoming Sinful Anger is a book by that name, Taming the Lion Within, uh, and he also mentions a group called Recovery International. I don't know them, but but uh, those are some things that he uh, references. And uh, he mentions that, that uh, Haman... Uh, uh, and trying to destroy the to destroy the, the Jews and the king of Persia wasn't his anger used uh, to work God's will? Yes, but that doesn't mean that it was right. God can use anything uh, to His advantage. He uses the devil. That doesn't mean that's Plan A. All right, let's go to this one. Um, 
Uh, somebody asked, uh, uh, can can you have uh, uh, masses? Is it permissible to have Sunday mass without music? Of course it is. Um, of course, I don't think the choir director will permit it, but it is. You you don't need to have music at mass, though. It I think it is more appropriate. Um, uh, was it which pope was it? Pius the tenth who said, "He who sings prays twice," and that isn't just a cute saying. It was the, one of the reasons that singing uh, really is. Uh, significant is because uh, it it enters into the psyche more easily and more permanently than speech. Uh, um, one of the things about singing is uh, you talk from your head, you sing from your diaphragm if you do it right. So it, it brings the body more fully into the act of worship and thus where the body is more involved, the spirit, the soul, is also more involved. So it's more appropriate to sing, but it isn't required that we sing. We used to have low masses all the time. That's what they were called, low masses. High mass was sung, and then there was solemn high, which was all the bells and whistles. Uh, and then there was the low mass, which was the one that uh, <laughs> the one that your father usually wanted to go to so he could get the screaming barbarians out of church <laughs> fast. Uh, maybe that was just my family. All right, so yes, you can have mass without music, but uh, it's not done much these days. All right, um, this is an interesting uh, one from Mercedes in Philadelphia. Why is the word cardinal often said between the first and last name of a cardinal? Like, uh, um... Uh, uh, Blaze Cardinal Supich. That would be one of the ways uh, to, to mention my bishop. Uh, um, um, Francis Cardinal George. It's because uh, different languages put different adjectives in different places. And in the Middle Ages, for instance, and Renaissance and all those other times, that, that the relationship of... Uh, of names was quite different. For instance, uh, Francis would have been a baptismal name, but George would have been the family name. So he would have been Cardinal George, and if they threw the first name in, they would have thrown it before that. It's it's because of where the adjective goes in different languages. So we're just taking literally from another custom and possibly from another language. Um, for instance, you'd say, Fred, uh, Count Windsor. <laughs> you know, his name was Fred, but his title was Count Windsor. I made that one up. I don't know Fred Count Windsor, but etc. So uh, being a quasi-aristocratic title, that's that's how it would happen. Uh, you know, uh, uh, Francis, Cardinal George. So uh, that's that's why. It's just a linguistic problem, or just a linguistic uh, and... and uh, uh, historical reason. So I hope that helps a little. Richard Father said, <laughs> that doesn't work. That's what the voice in my head said. All right, let's see here. I got one from uh, Frank. The Cadaver Synod. Oh, this is, this is, this is going to be tough. This, this is one of the most disreputable uh, events in, uh, in Christian history. Uh, it was from one of the worst periods in the history of the church. Uh, there was a period in, in which the, the um, leading families of Rome treated the papacy as their own property. This would have been, oh, around 850 A.D. and following. Uh, there were, it, society was in a bad way, and... Uh, uh, the aristocratic families of Rome just kind of 
treated the papacy as their own football. And the Cadaver Synod happened in uh, 897 A.D. And uh, I think it was at Pope Stephen uh, um, exhumed the uh, corpse of his predecessor, Pope Formosus, and put him on trial for heresy. So this rotting corpse was seated in a, on a papal throne in papal vestments, and um, uh, Formosus was condemned. Uh, the context uh, was, well, it gets, it's, it's, it's complicated. Uh, Pope Formosus crowned Lambert of Spoleto, uh, uh, co-ruler of the Holy Roman Empire in 892. And um, uh, apparently uh, Pope Formosus uh, was nervous about the aggression of this guy's father. And, well, when the other party came into power, they decided to please their adversaries by declaring that's how bad things had gotten so you know that we are so accustomed to having good and holy popes in our times and in in since well since the renaissance uh that 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 was the last time that that um that the papacy was so politically involved and after that, um, especially since the times of Napoleon, we've had exemplary popes who really believe this stuff. <laughs> and, you know, we're kind of spoiled with that. When we read about, about the papacy falling into decay, understand that to me this is a great testimony to uh, the, the inspired nature of the church. Because no matter how... Um, bad some popes have been, especially in this era, 850 AD, uh, the church has always snapped back. The Lord has always brought us back, and we can trust the Lord to do that. Uh, I remember hearing a story about a, a fellow who was um, a Jewish fellow in the 1400s, who, and I believe this may actually be a true story, but he was becoming a Catholic, and he was being prepared for baptism by a pious Franciscan friar, and uh, he said to this friar, I, I need to go to Rome on business. And it was during one of the decadent periods of the papacy. And um, he said, uh, I, I have to go to Rome on business. And this Franciscan friar thought, well, I'm going to lose him <laughs> if he goes to Rome. Uh, and he said, why don't we baptize you before you go to Rome? He said, no, no, I'm a man of business. I'll, I'll, um, I'll be baptized when I get back. And uh, a few months later, he came back from Rome and he, he was asked, um, uh, by the friar, did you meet any cardinals? He said, of course I met cardinals. I was in Rome doing business. And did you meet the Holy Father? I went I went to uh, uh, lunch uh, with him twice. And he said, you want to be Catholic? Yes. I said, if I ran my business for 14 weeks, like you guys have run that church for 14 centuries, I'd be out of business. It's the true faith. <laughs> and, you know, that's kind of a, a flippant story. But there's some truth to it. You know, we are very spoiled in our times with very good popes. And and I think it's a very important thing to realize that 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 has not always been true. There have been times in the history of the church when when the church has been seized by very bad people. And we need to understand that God has always been faithful to the church. So when people throw these things at you in historical debates, the answer isn't to say, oh, it never happened. It did happen. This is history. These things happened. 
And you know what? God has been faithful and has and has preserved his bride despite uh, the difficulties that we have faced. So don't let anybody shake your faith by saying, well, what about the cadavers and what about the Renaissance popes? Um, the Renaissance popes were a lot better than most people say, but there have been popes in history who, who have not been exemplary men. There's a book, oh, is it by, I don't think it's by Mike Aquilina. It might be Good Pope, Bad Pope. It's worth reading. And it's, it's, I think we as Catholics have to know our history and understand that, that, that the Lord has been faithful to the church. And, oh, it is. A Good Pope, Bad Pope is by Mike Ackerling. You think I'd know that? Uh, it's an excellent book. Good Pope, Bad Pope. And uh, 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 I think that to not know our history is, is a very foolish thing. And to deny that these things happened is a very foolish thing. Because ultimately, they testify to the truth of the faith and God's great protection for the church, on which we can always count. Uh, so there we go. With that said, we're going to go to a break. We'll come back with a word of the day, which I think is appropriate to this theme. And uh, then we'll open the phones at 888-914-9149. 888-914-9149. Who, what, where? What, who? Oh, lines are open. The Relevant Radio Studio Line is sponsored by Catholic Order of Foresters. Information about employment opportunities and their flexible premium life insurance plans available at relevantradio.com slash forester. Oh, happy day. Oh, happy day. When Jesus This is a great song, and he washed my sins away. And that can happen every day. And for a Catholic, that's every time we go to confession. It's great. You know, um, the uh, someone asked me to comment on the state of the church, and I was thinking, I don't know that I can even comment on the state of my soul. But I guess, I guess this bit about the cadaver synod, that is a comment on the state of the church, that we look at the church as this institution that's uh, run by human beings and is a political thing. That's not how God sees the church. He sees it as as the bride of 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 of, of Jesus and the a bride a wife a mother a, an army mighty with banners and you know all oh, the church is in this situation the church is in that situation try to to see it from God's perspective that that these are great days for the church they really are and uh, i i think that that for all the devil's trying to do um these are great days that God, if, if, if one could see things from the perspective of the future, I think these, this time, which is, I think, truly a time of purification in the church, um, I think that, that we will look from God's throne in heaven, God willing, we make it, that, um, oh, this was a time in which God was really loving his church and cleaning her up and making her again to be a thing of such beauty because the Catholic faith is, is it's beautiful, you know, uh, it's a beautiful thing. All right, enough with that. Let's go to the word of the day. The word of the day is 12. Of course, looking at the gospel, 12. When you see, I've shared this many times, uh, he appointed 12, this is an old extagram, he appointed 12 whom he also named apostles. So we talk about the 12 apostles, but you have to understand the word apostle means missionary. 
there were lots of missionaries. Look up on the web the 70 apostles. What, 70? I thought there were 12. All of the 12 were missionaries, that is, apostles. But not all of the missionaries, that is, apostles, were members of the 12. The 12 was a governing body. And Peter is as much a title, I think more a title than a name. Uh, uh, you go to the St. Peter's uh, Church in Rome, and around the top, you'll see two as Petrus. You are the Petrus. Upon this Petrus, I will build my church. It's, I believe, a title. His name was Simon Bar-Jonah. Um, and, oh, that's another, that'll be the word of the day for Monday. This idea of Bar, I got a letter asking me about Bar. Spoiler alert. Don't let me forget that that's the word of the day for Monday. But the, yes, tall order, the voice in my head says. The, um, oh, <laughs> he's very tall. Um, moving along. So this idea, when you see 12 in the Bible, it's about government. The 12 judges of Israel, Samuel being the 13th, the 12 tribes of, of Israel, a 12 thrones set up in the book of Revelation. 12 is about government. And those people who say Jesus didn't want to establish an institution, they're just not reading the Bible very well. Um, numbers have, have meaning beyond mathematical value in the Hebrew context. Uh, so, Jesus clearly established an institution, uh, and all of the uh, 12 were apostles, but not all the apostles were 12. That's how St. Paul can be an apostle and not be a member of the 12. He was a missionary, delegated by Christ himself on the Damascus Road, and we'll be celebrating that next week. All right, let's go to phone calls. Ahoy! Whom do we have, dear voice in my head? Monica from Los Angeles. What can I do for you, Monica? Hello. First, to comment Hello. on what you said earlier about being older and forgetful. I don't think that's <laughs> it. I think you're just overtaken with enthusiasm. Oh, you're kind. <laughs> yes, I, I, I sometimes see something shiny and go for it. But what can I do for you? <laughs> So here's my question. Can you please explain the Paschal mystery in a nutshell in layman's terms? Oh, dear. <laughs> the Paschal mystery. First of all, let's explain the word mystery. The word mystery, when we think the word mystery, we think the butler did it. You know, I, we don't know. We don't understand this. That's not what mystery means in Greek. And it's not what mystery means theologically. Think of the mysteries of the rosary. You know, the Blessed Mother visits Elizabeth. That's the second joyful mystery. What's mysterious about that? Well, there was a secret that the Savior of the world was in the womb of the Virgin, and his forerunner was in the womb of St. Elizabeth, and the forerunner recognized the Savior and, and uh, leapt in the womb. So there's a secret here. So the word mystery is a Greek word that means a thing whispered. It means a secret. All right, the Paschal Mystery. What is the Paschal Mystery? Pesach is the Hebrew word for Passover. That's literally what it means, a passing over. And uh, the, the, the passing over from death to life. That, that when we look at the cross... As human beings, we just see a tragedy. Remember a little old Jewish lady who would always come to mass, a mass, I said, in a nursing home. And after communion, she would always say, oh, I'm Jewish. I, don't, I won't take communion. I said, I understand. And then she would shake her head and say, why did he come to such a bad end? And I would say, oh, he really, he didn't. You know, that if you look at the crucifixion, it's just a tragedy. But if you, if you see the, 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 the secret of the Passover, 
that that death transitions into life. So the Paschal mystery is this is this bursting forth of life in the midst of death, which is what happened in Egypt with the with the chosen people and the Egyptians. It's what happened on the cross in the resurrection. Does that explain it? Yes, I mean that makes sense. The how death is actually life. Yeah, how death, what appears to be death, is 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 the gift of life. Uh, that's that's the mm-hmm. that's the Passover secret. So, in a nutshell, you can say, oh, instead of calling it the Pas- Paschal mystery, call it the Passover secret. <laughs> that's what it is. That's what that means. The Passover secret. That's I could have said that and saved a little time. No, the Passover secret, and we are we okay. are privileged to know the secret. So there you go. Uh, uh, Jesus okay. said, "To and... you are given the secrets of the kingdom of heaven." The mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. So, what? Uh, what? There's an end. What can I do for you there with the end? So that's good. So I'm thinking. You know, of course, it's easy to equate Jesus being the Lamb. We eat His uh-huh. flesh. We yeah. drink His blood. But it, with the Paschal Lamb, they put it on the door. Yes. Yes. They, yeah, they would never have drunk blood. That would that was reserved to God. And so uh, I think that's part of the Passover secret that that. Um, we, you know, the blood belonged to the Lord because the life was in the blood. Well, we're given the blood of the Lamb because we're given the life of the Lamb. It's, again, part of the secret. That that It, w- it doesn't appear that way. It looks like a little sip of wine. Oh, no, it's a, it's, there's a secret there, and we know the secret. So just, just remember that when you see the word mystery theologically, it means secret. I think it's fascinating. Yeah. So I hope that helps. And, and by... Yes, by drinking the blood, also, we now fully participate. Say that again, we, we now participate. Yeah, 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 that we don't just put it on our doorposts. We, we actually are marked with it. Well, thanks for calling in, and uh, um, I suppose it's warm where you are, but uh, envy is a sin, so I won't commit it. I'll let you go. God bless. Thanks for calling in. Whom do we have now, dear voice in my head? Donna from Dickerson... <laughs> Dickerson, where's Dickerson? Dickinson, Texas. Oh, that's not my fault. No, that's someone else's cheese slipping off the cracker. What can I do for you, Donna? Father, I'm hoping that you'll give me a little insight and explain to me the question that I have for you. I, uh, I've always been taught that at the end of the world, there would only be heaven and hell. Mm-hmm. However, I just assumed that uh, babies... Uh, unbaptized babies, uh, unborn who have been aborted, uh, you know, through through the Mother's Act of willful murder and so forth. I just assumed they were in heaven, and, and someone pointed out to me that based on the writings of St. Thomas Aquinas, that those babies do not go to heaven. Could you explain well, that to me and what yes. the teaching of the Church is? We don't. We don't know. Benedict, Pope Benedict, said that uh, we have good hope that God makes the offer of salvation to all people, and we do have in First Peter uh, a description of post post death salvation when Jesus preached to the uh, souls in prison. Uh, I think that's First Peter three five. I, I have to look it up, but um, so there is the example of of the exceptional post death salvation. What what uh, the traditional Catholic theory, and it isn't a doctrine. 
uh, we don't have a doctrine about limbo, is that there's something called the 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 paradise of the just, that that people who are not baptized have everything that heaven has to offer, except the vision of God. To to receive the vision of God, you must be baptized. That's one theory, but I much prefer Pope Benedict's theory that God will work this out, that God in His mercy and justice finds a way to make the offer of salvation to all people. Uh, the catechism says we are bound by the sacraments. God is not. Uh, so uh, we don't know, but God in his justice will not send uh, the innocent to hell. Does that answer the question? It helps. To, where is in St. Thomas Aquinas' writing where he addresses this and says that they do not go to heaven? Oh, good grief, I don't know. St. <laughs> Thomas wrote I mean, a lot I just, of things. I was surprised. You know, I'm ready to call him a dumb ox if he wrote something like yeah. that. Because I'm like, no, you don't know. But um, so there see gives me hope. Oh, yeah. No, we we believe that... that the, um, uh, um, that that uh, God in His justice and mercy will not uh, uh, do anything about that. Well, this is Saint Thomas dwells on the su- subject in the supplement of the Summa Theologica, questions seventy and seventy one in Article Seven. So <laughs> you can listen. To, that's uh, uh, Article Seven, sections seventy and seventy one. Uh, um, he explains that. The souls of the just do not suffer sensible pain uh, due to actual sins. Having died before committing any actual sin, they do not deserve that suffering. So uh, there it is. Um, the, 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 the tradition uh, is that, that baptism converts the ability to see God in heaven. But we, we, don't, we don't have a, a clear teaching about that. Uh, we trust God with that, and but I am quite sure that God is not going to punish the the uh, the uh, innocent for a, a mere uh, you know coincidence of their life. So I hope that helps and a little. And the same thing with mis- yeah, the same thing with this, you have a miscarriage. You know, the oh, soul of, course, of an unborn of child. Of course, of course, you know that that that's that's a human being. And and God, you know, I I really do prefer Pope Benedict's theory that that God makes the offer of salvation uh, to all people. It's we who need it who are in this world. Well, I, I we oh we I, do we have time for the one more call, dear voice in my head? Oh, we got twenty seconds. I hope I answered that question. It's a good question and asked by a lot of people. But there's music in my head, which means Drew is is coming up. Whenever I hear music in my head, I think Drew. Don't you? 